Welcome to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Clues. Each week, I'll be leading a series of conversations with our team here at Carson Wealth, which are designed to equip our listeners with the helpful insights necessary to simplify the critical decision points of life. We believe that true wealth is the thing money cannot buy and death cannot take away. Furthermore, we also believe our calling is to enable others to fulfill their own. And to that end, we endeavor. Welcome back into part three of my discussion with Sarah Dewey and Scott Schlafman. In this portion of our discussion, we focus on meaningful and efficient ways of naming beneficiaries for your qualified accounts. Welcome back in. So the next piece that I, I want to look at is, is naming um, of beneficiaries. And so from, from my perspective, I've always thought, you know, and this is fairly con- conventional, but especially with the new um, laws that have changed, naming your spouse as your first beneficiary, depending on your, your life situation, uh, probably makes the most sense. Um, but, you know, and Scott, I think you would probably agree with that, given what you, from your, your vantage point Absolutely. as well. Um, but past that, Sarah, what are some things that we should cons- consider from a, a trust perspective? I, I think at first glance, it looks like, well, why would I, why would I name a trust as a beneficiary of, of something and, you know, potentially be locked into a higher tax bracket immediately? But I'd be curious for your thoughts with regard to that. Josh, um, the way I look at it is that, you know, the reason you would name a trust as a beneficiary of an IRA is all about control. Uh, the tax situation gets messier, more complex, and is also typically more expensive to name a trust as a beneficiary of an IRA. Uh, but if you want to have that control over where how your assets out of your IRA are received by those beneficiaries, then a trust is probably your best tool for that. Um, so it's not only about who, right, spouse, some other individual, child or non-spouse, and then or charity, you know, who, who are you going to name? And then how is the money going to go out of that IRA when you're no longer here outright? Or do you want to have that control? Okay. And so if someone were to want that control, what would be some of the, what, what would be some of the trade-offs of having, having that control, but from a tax perspective, what would be some of the trade-offs that they should consider? Well, trusts are at the max tax bracket. So when that RMD has to be taken out of that IRA, it's payable to the trust. And then the trust tax brackets are extremely expensive, if you will. So trapping that RMD in the trust will then potentially cause the trust to have to pay a lot of taxes to the IRS. So they want to really think about how they are drafting the trust. There are certain types of trust provisions where you can really force that income out And so then the beneficiary is picking up the income on his or her tax return from that RMD. So you want to make sure you're working with a really good estate planning attorney who knows what they're doing as far as how to draft that trust um, so that taxes can be controlled, whether they're, you know, absorbed by the beneficiary or, you know, you leave it to the discretion of the trustee as to whether to make that distribution. But in a lot of cases, you know, you're going to want to make sure that trustee knows what he or she is doing, working with a good tax professional so that they can make that determination. Does that income need to go out of the trust? Does it make sense for it to go out of the trust pursuant to the provisions of the trust? And then, you know, what are the beneficiary's tax brackets? Because more, t- more likely than not, 
it makes more sense from a tax perspective for it to get out of the trust, but then you've got the whole issue of control. And I think really a trust is that gatekeeping function that you can kind of set in place for your estate plan for that largest asset that you have. But yet you, yes, you have less control over the tax bracket, but you probably have more control over the amount that comes out and when that money comes out, depending on the trust that you, you choose. Correct. Well, the trust is still going to be facing that 10 year rule right. uh, and have to pay out over that 10 year time period. But we are still a little bit unclear about how the IRS really sees that. So that is one challenge. Uh, I don't know if Scott, you have any input in that, but you know, really what we're seeing is that the trust has to, um, you know, pay it out under the 10-year rule, but does the trustee have to go and ask for RMDs every single year or can they wait till the 10th year and then get all of the balance out of the IRA? And how will that impact not only the trust, but then the beneficiaries on their tax return? So it's a little bit unclear and you're going to, again, want to work with sophisticated trustees, potentially a corporate trustee there, or um, you know, and definitely a good tax professional to make sure all of that is accounted for. So the options that occur to me would be uh, if if there are children younger younger children in the mix, obviously um, maybe children with special needs, mm-hmm. um, heirs with special needs. Um, what what would be another scenario in which I would name a trust as, as either a full or partial beneficiary that occur to you? I love to talk to my clients about trust when there's a blended family. You know okay. when they're People have been married more than once because can you imagine I worked so hard and I put all this money away. I've been saving it for 40 years. And then, um, you know, I leave the truck, the IRA outright to my spouse, which is what most people do. Well, that spouse rolls it over, gets remarried. And then, you know, what are my children saying? You know, if that spouse has children and I have children, you want to make sure that you're doing planning that makes sense. So a lot of times I see like a Q-tip trust be put in place um, as the beneficiary of the IRA so that at the first death, again, that spouse, you want to take care of that spouse. You want to make sure he or she has assets from which to live upon. But, um, you know, they can take the um, the RMD out out of the trust because it hits the trust and then it pays out to the, the surviving spouse. But then what's left goes to my children, not my spouse's children. So that's a way to kind of work through the estate planning challenges of blended families, but protecting that largest asset so that there potentially is something left for my children at the end of that term. Money or wealth doesn't end after one generation. It's It's got a a, a cyclical and, and a, a long span, you know, lifespan. Um, and given what we have encountered with the change in um change in, in tax law. I, I'm not sure that qualified accounts are a great way to pass on long-term wealth, right? They may not be your, your best long-term giving vehicle to your, your kids um, just because of the, the lack of flexibility. Um, you know, it's just becoming more and more stringent. Um, Sarah, what's your take on, on that kind of hypothesis? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Because, you know, you're either going to get taxed on it or your beneficiaries are going to get taxed on it, no matter which way you slice it and dice it right now. There's just not a lot you can do to kind of plan around that. Again, it's about smoothing that out and, you know, 
considering maybe even charity um, as the recipient of um, or one of your beneficiaries or the beneficiary of your IRA is another thing you can do to sort of minimize income tax. Um, in the IRA, it's a great vehicle to use if you have any charitable intentions. Um, at your death, you could make your donor advice fund uh, the beneficiary of your IRA um, and then let your advisor, um, you know, someone like you, Josh, manage that donor advice fund for future generations um, uh, with, you know, in conjunction with the kids to make uh, charitable contributions to the charities that may be meant a lot to you. So there are things you can do legacy wise and for the betterment of, you know, the society and the world uh, with charitable um, use of charitable, you know, charitable uh, uh, organizations as beneficiaries uh, of your IRA. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that there's not just an individual component. You can go ahead and think beyond if you want to use that vehicle because it is a great vehicle to use. Yeah. And Scott, jump in. I think you've got a... Yeah. Well, and to, to chime in, to chime in on the charitable, uh, the charitable component of it, really from a tax perspective, if you are required to make these required minimum distributions, there is always the option for that qualified charitable distribution, which is if every year a taxpayer can take up to $100,000 per person per year and move that directly from their IRA to a 501c3 organization, doesn't actually hit your bank account. And not only does it count as an RMD, it's going to lower any RMD you need to make, but it also is $100,000 that isn't going to be directly taxable for, for mm -hmm. you. And uh, especially with a married filing jointly couple, each person in the couple can take that $100,000. $100,000 at the maximum 37.5% tax bracket, that's $74,000 of tax savings a year. So that is always an option. I've heard it joked that everyone's altruistic um, and everyone's philanthropic at some point in life. You just need to decide when you're going to be philanthropic because it's coming. <laughs> so I think I'm coming back to that that joke because there's a little bit more truth to it than, than maybe uh, painfully true. But um, I like the idea of... Uh, of that. So I'll go ahead and ask Sarah, do you see any drawbacks of naming partial beneficiaries of qualified assets? So if someone came to me and said, you know, hey, I would like to leave a portion to my my donor by fund, I'd like to leave a portion to my kids. Um, is that where could we go wrong with that? And um, Scott, I, I want your your thought process on that as well. Well, I defer to Scott on the tax you know, ramifications that may be negative of, you know, splitting the beneficiaries. But as I think of it, Josh, I always think of it, how can you create a sort of a, maybe a synthetic stretch IRA? And you can do that by naming a charitable uh, remainder trust as the beneficiary of your IRA. So you're still going to be ultimately giving to charity at the end of that trust's terms. But during the trust terms, the trust has to make a 5%, at least a 5% uh, distribution uh, to beneficiaries. So you could benefit both. Um, you could benefit your kids. They could be the beneficiaries of your charitable remainder trust. And at the end of the charitable remainder trust term, the rest goes to charity. So you know, that, that's not a drawback for sure. Uh, it, I guess it doesn't put as much into your the hands of your children, though. You're not, you're not giving them outright 
either, you know, the 10 year option, um, you're really stretching that out, which may be negative for them because they may need the money. Um, so, but just a thought, as you, as you mentioned, those two sets of beneficiaries that came to mind. I think that I like most about, um, especially about, uh, philanthropy and, and naming um, your donor advice fund, especially um, as, as a one of your treating your donor advice fund as one of your kids, essentially, um, is that and I've seen I've seen and heard of this a lot more of clients are more they're interested um, in helping their kids derive joy from their wealth. Right. Um, and they're more keenly aware of like, hey, I, I want both the tangible portions of my balance sheet to go to my kids as much as possible, but I also want the intangible portions of my balance sheet. And what they mean by that typically is their belief systems, but also helping their kids formulate what they believe and why they believe it, what they're passionate about. And nothing crystallizes that quite as much as figuring out who is a a worthy recipient of, you know, a portion of, of cash, right? Because now all of a sudden I, I look at a, at a charity differently when I realize I, I'm asking questions like what percentage of my gift goes to operations? What percentage goes to their um, overall mission? Things of that nature. You know, how much corporate oversight goes into their, their charitable um, organization? When's the last time they were audited? So those are all things that whether we realize it or not, uh, raise the maturity level of our kids is like, I have four kids, full disclosure. Um, and you know, I, I want them, I want to equip them to be good stewards, right? At the end of the day, Hey, this is what your mom and I were blessed with. And Hey, to whatever degree that you're capable, I want this to be a caveat for you discovering your calling in life, what you believe you were put on this earth to do. And in some way that informing that, um, so I think it is easy to get caught up in the, hey, we, we want to make sure that we preserve it. But, you know, there are other ways of preserving our wealth that have this, many of the same benefits um, you know, as, as we go down that path. Well, that is all for today. We appreciate your time and trust that you are better equipped to steward both your wealth and your financial resources. If you have questions or suggestions for a future topic, please direct those to infohouston at carsonwealth.com. Thank you again for joining us today. May you and your family encounter truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. The opinions voiced in the Wisdom and Wealth podcast of advisor and host are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities and advisory services offered through Satera Advisory Networks, LLC, a broker-dealer and a registered investment advisor, member of FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services also offered through CWM, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, is under separate ownership from the other named entity. Josh Clues is a non-producing registered representative of Satera Advisor Networks, LLC. Our local address is 1780 Hughes Landing, Suite 570, Woodlands, Texas, 77380. Generally, a donor advised fund is a separately identified fund or account that is maintained and operated by a Section 501c3 organization, which is called a sponsoring organization. Each account is composed of contributions made by individual donors. 
Once the donor makes a contribution, the organization has legal control over it. However, the donor or the donor's representative retains the advisory privileges with respect to the distribution of the funds and the investment of assets in the account. Donors take a tax deduction for all contributions at the time they are made, even though the money may not be dispersed to the charity until much later.